Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. You can take your seats and you can go to Habakkuk chapter 3. So this is the last message uh, in our series called Can I Be Honest? Can I Be Honest? And have we've, as we've gone through this book, we've seen Habakkuk be very honest with God. He, he looks and he speaks to God and he says, look at all that is going on around me. In message one, we heard him say to God, how long, how long is it going to take for you to do something? And then in message two, he, he sort of looks at God and he says, when God gives him the answer, saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is who I'm going to use in order to really uh, judge my people, to wake them up, to repent. He says, how can you use a people like this? How can you use the Chaldeans? How can you use somebody that is worse than us? See, Habakkuk, he makes a call to heaven, and every time he calls up, God answers. And there's a good point in that for us, which is that when we humbly come to God in our confusion, he does not ignore us. That there's a response that God will help his people who humbly come. And the title of our message today is a prayer song of surrender. A prayer song of surrender. In this final chapter of this book, we're going to get Habakkuk's response, his final response. And like an overmatched UFC fighter, he actually submits. He submits to God. That's why it's called a song of surrender. Now this submission comes in a prayer. And it was a prayer that was meant to be sung. That's why verse 19 ends with, to the choir master with stringed instruments. This was a prayer that he makes, but he expected his people to sing it. And in this final response, what you're going to see, what we're going to see, is a, a man who is completely transformed. His whole disposition, everything about him, by the end, is completely different. And the reason why is because he looks back and he looks up. It's about what he does in this chapter. He looks back and he looks up, and it leads to a complete transformation in him. And there's a big lesson in it for us. That's why we need to pay attention today. Verse 2, he says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and, the, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And so Habakkuk says, I've heard about what you have done in the past, God. I've heard all about you. And he knows now that the judgment and 
exile, further judgment is actually coming on him. And he says, oh Lord, do I fear. He's afraid of what is about to come. Again, he's surrendering to what God is doing. But he's afraid. He knows that Judah is guilty of sin and is deserving of judgment. And so in a sense, he's like, God, do it. But he says, but in wrath, remember mercy. Now this word wrath in the Hebrew is rogaz. I'm sure I'm not even saying that right. But it actually means trembling. And so what he's saying is, in our trembling, when this judgment comes, when it hits hard, when we are agitated, when we're distressed by what we're going to go through, he looks at God and he says, show us mercy. Be merciful to us. And what he's doing here is he's appealing to an attribute of God. In Exodus, it says this, Exodus 34 when God says who he is, he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God's like, this is who I am. I am merciful. And Habakkuk appeals to this attribute, this part of God's character. Mercy is compassion in action. It's compassion in action. It's, when you read the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, that is, that is it right there, the clearest picture. It says that he felt compassion on the man who was beaten up and, 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 uh, and jumped, essentially. And he goes out of his way to help him. It's compassion in action. Habakkuk, what he does is he shows us how we should pray for ourselves and how we should pray for our culture. He shows us how we should pray for ourselves. We pray for God's mercy when we look at our lives, when we look at the, the way that even this week we've sinned, we've given in to the temptation of flesh, and we say, God, have mercy on me. We look at our culture and how dark and evil it is. We look up to our God and we say, have mercy on us. Habakkuk asks for God's mercy because he's aware that it's only the mercy of God that's going to get them through the time that they're going through, that is about to come. Think about us. It's only the mercy of God that is going to get us through the times that we're in now. It's all we have to plead and ask Him for His help and for His mercy. It will get us through the days that we're in. Now, in verses 3 all the way to 15, Habakkuk looks back at Israel's history. And he describes the coming of God. When he looks back, he describes God coming. Verse 3, he says, God came. And when he talks about the coming of God, he talks about how powerful God's coming was, and it was visibly seen in nature. I'm not going to read every, all the verses. I just want to summarize it for you. He says that God's power, when you read it, is visible in nature. And then in verse 8, he asks a question. He says, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers, your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses and your chariot of salvation? He says, was it a, he asked this question, he's like, were you angry at sort of nature? Well, the answer then to that question comes in verse 13. He says, you went out for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare 
from thigh to neck. He says, you came out and you came out for the salvation of your people. That is why God came. And so he describes here for us what is called, in theological terms, a theophany. A theophany. It's a, it's a physical manifestation of the presence of God to humanity. And it's a powerful display. Now, when we hear that God came, you know what that should make you think of? Jesus. When you hear, in verse 3, God came, you should think Jesus. Jesus came. Here, listen to this in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, here it is, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now we need to ask, why did He come? Why did He come? He came for this reason. In Luke, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Mark 10, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. The Incarnation was the greatest theophany in history. It was a world-changing, life-changing event. And we know that it's true because of all of us sitting in this room together. Because since that moment, Jesus has been changing lives, and He promises only to continue to change lives as we spread the Gospel, as we share our faith and tell people the beauty of Jesus Christ. Habakkuk teaches us that there's wisdom and power in looking backwards. That there's wisdom and power in looking backwards. Let's get our timeline up again, because I want to try to slowly put this together for us. Because again, I always want us to see how the Bible fits together. And I've already sort of walked us through the creation fall and everything like that, and then where Habakkuk falls in, that is 2 Kings 23. So the, the thing that is sitting out in front, now that he's saying, now he's looking in chapter 3, and he's saying, I'm terrified, God. The thing that he's really talking about is further judgment, which is the deportation to Babylon. So there's further exile to come. They're going to be taken away. And so that's in front of him. And so what Habakkuk does is he looks backwards. Here's this other slide. And what he does is he looks backwards to the Exodus. He looks backwards. That's what chapter verses 3 to 15 is talking about. It's the Exodus when God comes to rescue his people. He looks backwards to the Exodus because in doing that it helps him to look forward in hope. Because he remembers God came to save us then, and as we go into exile, he will come to save us again. So Habakkuk looks backwards, and that is the exact same thing we're supposed to do. Here's this next slide. He looks back, but so do we. The church, we look backwards to the cross. We look backwards to the death of Jesus Christ. And what that does is it should fill us with hope. Because we realize now that we can look forward. And while we are looking forward, waiting on the return of Christ, we are sanctified by God. He works 
in us through the trials that we experience and then we walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. He changes us. But we are looking forward to the consummation of the kingdom. Where God comes and everything is wrapped up. What Revelation is talking about, everything is finished. And then there's the glorification of the saints. And then we experience eternal reward. That is what is out in front. We look backwards. And looking backwards should actually fill you with hope. See, looking backwards at the cross, what it does is it tells us and reminds us of the faithfulness of God. It tells us and reminds us that Jesus came once and that Jesus is coming again. We look backwards for hope. Listen to Hebrews. It says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. This confidence is, don't turn away from your faith. Hold on. Hebrews is all about that. Don't give up. Persevere in faith which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So we are to walk in the will of God. We're to follow what Scripture says, so we will receive what is promised. Watch this. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Where did you hear that before? Chapter 2. It's Habakkuk quoted. My righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are to hold on in the faith because there's a great reward coming. See, things got hard in Habakkuk's day. And let me just be honest with you. Things are going to get hard in our day especially as we live as people committed to biblical convictions. The culture is not necessarily getting warmer towards Christians in the church. Things are going to get tougher. That's just a reality. And we, we may as well kind of get some steel in our spine and get ourselves ready for that because we're going to need to hold on. Again, not in our own strength, but by the power of the Spirit. And as we hold on, Hold on, the word says. There will be a great reward. Now, one of the ways that God has blessed the church throughout history is he's provided poets. Poetry. And one of the ways that God has blessed our church is that he has provided us with poets. And so I just reached out to somebody in our church this week who is a brilliant poet and asked her to write something for us in order just to minister to your soul, in order for you to feel and sense the hope that we have. Here's what Jamila Lyberg wrote. Hold fast. Hold fast. In the midst of grief and confusion. Don't you feel confused sometimes? In the midst of grief and confusion, the noise in my head drowns out your quiet whisper. Yet deep within my heart, there's a rumble of truth rising to the surface. He who promised is faithful. We must in him endure. Cling, tight, cling tightly with blessed assurance to our confession of the hope as the day draws nearer and nearer and nearer. The day is coming. The day is coming. 
Let not fear obstruct our sowing in tears as we wait with great anticipation. For he will not delay, and this time of waiting calls for continued participation. Engaged, fully engaged in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labors are not in vain. What we know is that our hope has been secured. Our hope is sure, it is certain. In what was established in eternity past, that this treasure is unfading and it will last as the righteous shall live by faith. We will come to see that every promise He has made to us shall come to be. Hold fast. Hold fast. And the Lord's people said? Let me try that again. Hold fast. And God's people said? We hold fast. All, everything He has promised shall come to be. God will not fail His people. And when Jesus comes to get us, and He is coming, it will not be a day of condemnation. It will be a day of joy. It will be a day of peace. It will be a day of restoration. It will be a day of entering into eternal rest with our Father. That day is coming. And the word on us is to hold on in faith. Tough times will not last. Our exile will end. You know what hard moments does? You know what the hard time that we're in right now should, should do in us? It should make us realize that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. That things are not right, but God will make them right. It should remind us that the world is not our home. I think so much of what God is walking us through right now is to wean us off the world. So that we would stop clinging to the things of the world and start treasuring the things that matter most. To realize that this is not our home. That we are going to a place that is far better. And we feel that. It should also, these hard moments, make us ask for Jesus to come. Because when He comes, the brokenness will be made right. So Habakkuk, he looks back and he becomes a completely changed man. Verse 16, he says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. He's scared. The way snakes scare me, the way, the way sharks scare surfers, the way a cat scares mice. Habakkuk is scared of what is to come. He says, my legs tremble beneath me. He's scared, but I don't want us to miss his surrender. Verse 16 says, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. He is willing to wait for God to do what He has promised. God promised Him in chapter 2, verses 6 to 20, that He is going to come, He's going to judge, He's going to rescue His people, and He's willing to wait on that. And He's willing to do it, no matter what comes. 
He's willing to do this. He's willing, so he says, I will wait patiently on God. But he's willing to do that no matter what. You're like, where do you get that from? Verse 17, it's in the text. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor no fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olives fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. For God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on high places. This is not a bitter surrender to what God is doing. This is a man who is joyfully surrendering to the plan of God on his life. This, don't get this twisted. It's not bitter surrender. It's joyful surrender. And he will joyfully surrender and be filled with joy. Even if the worst happens, verse 18, he says, I will rejoice in my God. Verse 18, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk is no longer a complaining, questioning prophet. He is a joyful prophet. He is a faith-filled prophet in his God. He says, God the Lord is my strength. Whatever comes, he believes God is going to provide the strength for him to get through it. That is what's going on in this man. Think about what we saw in chapter 1. How long? He's mad, he's angry, he's frustrated, he's complaining. And in the end, he's like, I'm full of joy. God the Lord is my strength. Now you've got to ask the question, how did this brother get here? How does he go from chapter 1 to chapter 3? And I'll be fully honest with you, I think I preached the book of Habakkuk for myself. Because I was, I'm in chapter 1, I'm like, I get this brother. But he gets to chapter 3, and God, what he's doing in me, and I believe in all of us, is he's challenging us to say, am I in this spot? Am I where Habakkuk is? Now you got to ask, how did he get here? Well, he got here because he stopped looking at his circumstances in front of him and started looking at the God who loves him. That's how he got there. He's not looking at himself. He's not looking at circumstances. He is looking at his God, and that made all the difference. That is what we are to take away. See, what this text does is it forces us to ask the question, where am I looking? Yes, things are a little bit tough. Yes, things are not the way that I want them to be exactly. But where am I looking? Where have my eyes been all week? Have they been on myself? Have they been on my circumstances? Or have they been on my God? That is how the transformation happens in this man's life. It's how it will happen in ours. It makes all the difference. Do you know that in this chapter, Habakkuk calls God three different names? You don't really see it, but I want to show it to you. In verse 8, he calls them Yahweh. That's God's personal name. It speaks of God's self-existence. That God just is. He's dependent on no one, needs help from no one. 
And it speaks of this covenant faithfulness that God will not abandon His people, that He will help His people, that He has made a promise, that He will come through. He keeps His promise. And then in verse 3, He calls Him Eloah. And that's the singular of the plural form, Elohim. And it means one true God. It communicates God's power and might. Like Carla's song earlier, nothing can stop our God. He is all-powerful. And then in verse 19, he calls him Adonai. It means master of the universe. It speaks of God's sovereignty. It reminds us that God is in control of all things at all times. That everything is working according to His purpose and to fulfill all that He has promised to His people. That there's no moment in history where God is not fully guiding everything by His good providence for the saints and for His glory. That is who He is looking to. That is who we look to. We have to get a bigger view of God in our life. Because it's the big view of God that gets us through the trials that we face, that gets us through the tough times. When your eyes go on a God like this, when you look back, how can you not be filled with hope and trust as you look to your future? That is who we're talking about in the text. This is who we look to. This is who we surrender completely to. And when we look at the Lord, when we look at our God, our attitude changes. The way we think about life changes. We are filled with hope and faith because we know, remember the cross, he has been faithful to us in the past. He will be faithful to us in the future. Come what may. This is your God. This is my God. And full confession, this is the God that I've been struggling at times to trust as your pastor. But this is who we look to. Here's the main thing I want us to take away from the message today. Faith, joy, and hope comes when we look at God's faithfulness to His people in the past. That is what you go away with. That He never left us down. He's been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the future. That is who we look to. We remember the cross. Remember what is out ahead of us. We go from this complaining, not trusting person to this faith-filled, joy-filled person when our eyes come off of ourselves and we behold our God, our faithful Father. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful, that you are good. Lord God, we thank you of what we know of you in the past. Lord, that you have never let your people down, and that you never will. Yes, Lord, times can be tough. Habakkuk faced tough times. Some of us in different ways, all of us really, in some ways facing some sort of tough time, or we will in the future. But I pray, oh God, that we would not lose hope and trust in you. God, I pray that you would help us to hold fast 
to trust you, God, at all times. God, we thank you for giving us a small little book like this that goes so missed at times and yet has so much to say to us all the time. Lord, we thank you for the unique ways that you've put your word together. And God, we thank you that you've prepared it for our souls tonight. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to leave here in a place of surrender, in a place of trust, in a place of belief that you are the sovereign one, that you are good, and that you're always going to take care of us. You're our defender, God. You are sovereign over us. Help us to trust you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.